Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Hey everybody, Pastor Matt here for Roots Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and I want to welcome you to this week's message. If you have been around RCC for any length of time, you've heard us use three words repeatedly, and those words are grow, connect, and live. You hear those and maybe even see them plastered all over thing, everything that we do online and on our notes if you download them at our media links um, when they're available uh, for the upcoming messages. Um, you see them so much because they're tied to our vision and our mission. And our mission is to help people grow, uh, grow deeper roots directly into Christ with a deeper relationship and a more mature understanding of His Word. We want people to connect to community and not in the way that communities use, like in a trendy word about, yeah, I'm part of a community. No, we genuinely want you to follow the Old Testament or the New Testament model of connecting to people in your local congregation and fellowship, to be honest, to be open, to be vulnerable and transparent with them when you're struggling with something in life, you need prayer or you need some help in some way. That's what we mean by connecting to genuine community. And the third thing is living God's purposes. Now, I think we do these things very well um, to varying degrees. But the thing that I want to focus on here the next couple of weeks is people who are actually living God's purpose. It's something I haven't really done here um, at all, actually, for the last three and a half to four years that RCC has been in existence I haven't stopped and told the stories of modern-day people or people who are a little bit closer to our modern-day times who literally lived God's purpose, not their own. They gave their life to Him and then followed the teaching of Scripture to the letter and went out and changed something in the world. We don't hear about these stories very much. Um, We hear about Paul and Peter and John and the disciples, and we should hear about them, rightfully so. But there can be a moment where uh, some people might look at those, uh, look at those people, not characters, but people that are listed in the Bible and kind of romanticize what that would have been like or think, you know, these are just stories and they weren't real people or there's a little bit of a disconnect. But this week, what I want to do is I, I really want to tell the story of someone that you probably have never heard of. I certainly had never heard of them before this week as I got into my study. And I think this is important to give us um, some context and to give us maybe some inspiration to think a little bit differently about how we can apply God's word to our life. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. We want to take the principles, the direction, the standard, the instruction that's in the Bible. We want to apply it to our life and run that out into the world to make a difference for everyone. But just before we talk about this person's story uh, this week, and I introduce you to their story, um, I want to take one step back because there's a lot of people who um, who are in our church or who watch these messages who were kind of raised like I was. I was raised in a more kind of Pentecostal, charismatic, definitely evangelical 
type of church. And there's benefits to this. There's drawbacks to this. You know, you know, you can find a, a, a plethora of people online who would be, you know, critical or affirming of all the denominations and picking them apart and screaming and yelling at each other. That's not what I'm here to do. What I do want to do is identify a way that I was taught growing up that um, that I think needs a little bit more understanding and depth. In the evangelical church, we are taught frequently that our main goal is to get people saved. Now, I don't want to stand here or sit here and be like, no, that's not our goal. No, it is our goal. We need to evangelize. One of the, the, the most effective evangelistic ministries I've ever seen and been a part of is based out of our church here and is reaching the city of Phoenix and is now expanding to other cities because they want to be an outreach arm of the local church to try to help those who are in need. It's called Polypraise. If you don't know them, you can look them up online. You can, I think they're Polypraise AZ, I think is their, uh, is their social media handle, um, but you can find them easily online and they're doing great, magnificent work. But as someone who was raised in the evangelical framework, we were kind of instructed that our main goal was to get people saved. When Jesus issued the Great Commission, he did not tell people, go into the world and make converts. He said, go into the world and make disciples. Now, granted, to become a disciple, you have to be a convert. I'm not diminishing that at all. But there is a process that God uses over time in many people's lives to get them to that point of conversion. I was taught that I needed to learn the Romans road and, and go through the Saturday soul winning society and, and do these classes and tie this scripture to this thought and this scripture to this thought and kind of go down the road. And so if I'm sitting um, talking to somebody on an airplane or in a bus ride or wherever I am, I'm sharing the gospel with them, that my entire goal is to get them to the point of repeating a prayer after me. Now, there's, I've talked about this before in the past, and you can go back on the podcast and catch them, but repeating a prayer after someone does not ensure their salvation. It doesn't mean that there's magic words that we can just say, and all of a sudden, bam, somebody's saved. No, it is a literal, genuine belief, and then someone expressing that belief. If they're doing that in the form of a prayer, they're, they're repeating after someone, then fine. Um, but I think we've kind of misled a generation of people by thinking, as long as you say these words, you're in the door. And we have millions of people who have been kind of deceived or led astray because of that framework. Um, but there is a process that God uses of planting seed and watering seed, and then he brings the harvest in his perfect time based on his perfect knowledge and perfect plan. In my evangelical framework, I was always trying to get someone to recite the prayer. And only if I got them to recite the prayer or say that they believed in Jesus did I feel like it was a successful interaction. I would walk away defeated if no one, if someone didn't want to say the prayer with me or didn't want to... Um, uh, you know, repeat my words, or they didn't want to give their life to Jesus right at that moment. I'm like, man, what else did I have to do? What else do I need to do? And, and in a lot of instances, nothing. You did what you were supposed to do. 
there are some people who plant seeds, other people who water seeds, but it's God who brings the harvest. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we find Paul um, kind of rebuking the, the Corinthian church here a little bit because they're having arguments about who's greater than somebody else. You know, who's greater than, uh, than, than this person? You know, I follow uh, a, a Paul, I follow Apollos, and they're having these arguments about who's greater. And Paul writes to them and corrects them about this, this basically dumb argument that they're having. But after he kind of rebukes them, he draws their attention to something that I really want to highlight in this passage. Here's what he says. After all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seeds in your heart, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It doesn't matter, or it's it, it's not important, rather, who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers— and you are God's field, you are God's building. When we talk about living God's purpose, we I, I want to just make sure that for those of us who are raised in that, um, uh, that evangelical framework, which I, I still kind of consider myself in our church part of that, but if you were raised in that old evangelical mindset where salvation is the only way that there was a successful encounter when you're talking to someone, I want to break that mold based on what we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You are to go and be the light of the world, the salt of the world. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't lose the flavor. Don't lose anything that God has given you. Continue to plant seeds where there were, where there were none. Water the seeds where um, someone else has planted, and then God will give you, will, will, will bring that person and give you the, the, the final harvest based upon his time and his instruction. We cannot be people who are discouraged because um, someone didn't say the prayer with us today. We need to have a longer view of it that wherever I go, I am sowing seeds or watering them, sowing seeds or watering them. And if I get the privilege, the, the absolute joy of s- talking to someone and they're like, I'm ready to, le- to believe right now. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And we get a chance to pray with them and we watch that transformation happen in their face and we watch their countenance change and we watch them start the process of becoming reborn in God, then that is awesome. That's amazing. We get to be there for that. But the majority of your interactions are not going to be harvesting for most of us. Most of us are going to be planting seeds and watering. And there, because we've romanticized the, the interaction with people and we have kind of told them that the only way it's successful is if someone repeats a prayer after you, then we are discouraged when we are watering seeds or sowing seeds. My friends, if you've ever been involved in youth ministry, it is a seed sowing, watering the seed time. Because there are moments where I've done a lot of work with youth and young adults. There's moments where you be where you'll be preaching and you'll just wonder, 
is anybody listening to this? Is anybody getting this? And you'll ask the, the kids in the group or in, in the service, do you understand what I'm saying? And someone will just look at you like, huh? I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, do you want to pray? I don't know how. You've been in this youth group for the last four and a half years. You don't know how to pray yet? Uh-uh. I don't know. And it's it's kind of discouraging. And you, I've done this myself where I walked away and went, good Lord, man, what is it? Is this even working? But what I'm, why? Because there's no, I'm looking for them to, to give their life to Christ or to engage in the way I want them to engage. But I had to go back and realize that, Part of my job is to sow those seeds and water them wherever I go. I'm not going to be discouraged by the countenance on their face. I'm going to make sure that uh, that when I'm presenting the gospel, it is true. It is in a way that they would understand and consume that's engaging. I want all that to be true. But there, you may have to plant seeds for a very long time or water seeds for a very long time before there becomes a harvest. So I want all of us to get comfortable and excited about sowing seeds and watering them. Because those are two things we just read out of God's word that he uses to bring about the harvest. <clears throat> the, the, the person that I want to introduce you to today is a woman named Eleanor Young. Eleanor was born towards the beginning of the 20th century. And as a very young child, she uh, became sick with polio. I didn't realize this for... Uh, before I got into this, but there are two two types of polio: uh, bulbar polio, which attacks your brainstem, and paralytic polio, which attacks your spinal column. Um, the bulbar polio is the one that uh, will, will end someone's life, and the paralytic polio is the one that will cause physical deformities and growth, and and sometimes paralysis. It's temporary. In some cases, it, it can be. Um, it, it can kind of be rehabilitated to some form, as we'll see in her story. But she was in the hospital for seven straight months because of contracting polio. She was paralyzed for a while from the neck down. I don't know if you can imagine being a five-year-old little girl being paralyzed from the neck down, but she couldn't move. She couldn't get up. She couldn't do anything, um, and she could barely speak because it would take her uh, to an immense amount of effort, an immense amount of effort to speak. She could only get one word out per breath. As a public speaker and someone who speaks um, pretty regularly, this would be absolutely um, mind-bogglingly drive me insane. Only be able to speak one word per breath. I don't know how, how I would even be able to operate. Um, and as much as I can't wrap my head around that struggle she was in as a parent myself, I also can't wrap my head around the message her parents received from the doctor, which was, she's not going to make it. Eleanor's not going to live. 
her body is being ravaged by the disease. It's, it's att attacking all the things that we expected it to attack. And she has a very, very low probability of making it. Actually, she's not going to make it. And if by some miracle she does, she's going to be an invalid or someone who's in a vegetative state for the rest of her life that you just prepare for it now. Only 20% of the people who have bulbar polio actually survived during that time, especially the children. They were obviously panicked and very upset. They were God-fearing people, and so they, they reacted out of that fear and just began to question God. Why would you let this happen to my, my little girl? Why would she get this disease? Why didn't you protect her? Why don't you heal her? And they went on for a long time very upset, very disappointed, very angry with the situation that they were in, and it caused them to react that way to God. Eleanor said that after her parents finally got into the position of, stopped, of stopping asking God, why did you do this, and why is this like this, and why did you do this to our little girl? Once they got past that point and surrendered to God and accepted that this is kind of where he was and that he was in control, at that moment, she started to have little turnarounds in her physical health. She spent a very long time, months, in physical therapy trying to find a way just to walk. She was unable to walk without the assistance of crutches, but they also made a device for her that went literally from her ankles all the way up to her midsection, like by her waist, and had straps that would go in between them on her knees. And someone would have to pick her up and, and kind of prop her up so that she could stand because she couldn't stand on her own. There are moments where they would literally have to lean her against something like a wall for her to be able to stand up until someone could hand her her crutches. And then she would use that to try to find a way to get around and to be able to move on her own and to do whatever version of walking she could come up with. Her legs were bad. The polio had ravaged her body. She had not grown very tall. Um, she had not fully developed physically. Her legs were were, were not working in the way they were designed and intent, uh, intended to function. And she was trying her best and eventually was able to, to kind of pull herself around with these crutches um, so that she could go to school. Her first day of first grade, she was so excited to be able to go to school. And when she got there, she did not realize that all of her classes were upstairs. And she was barely navigating, uh, she was barely, you know, a, a short amount of time navigating her being able to use the crutches to move around. There's no way in the world she was getting up the stairs to her classes. And during that time period, there was no elevator or handicap accessible um, uh, ramps or anything. It was just, you got to make it up the stairs. She couldn't. Her brother recognized that she couldn't do it. And so he would every day go to the bottom of the stairs and physically pick her up and carry her to the top so she could go to her class. She was very grateful for that, but that was something that she was going to get used to long-term being carried. She was unable to participate in the, uh, the, the recess times that the, kid had, the kids had in her class. She wasn't able to go out inside and play tag or hide and seek or any type of game with a ball. She was 
unable to do any of that, any of it. And so she focused then on her, on her academic and her learning. Um, her entire town was based, um, her entire town were farmers. And they were a very small, very close-knit community. And they all went to church together. And every once in a while, a missionary would come through and preach at their service on the weekends. She was really inspired by that. And, and deep in her heart, as she began to listen to more and more missionaries, they would come through over the years. She just had this burning desire and knowledge inside of her that God was calling her and uh, inspiring her and nudging her in the direction of mission work. She didn't know how she was going to do it. She was on crutches. Her legs were bad, and she was, you know, un- unable to navigate um, a-, a lot of the things in school. But she just knew she was going to wind up in the mission field. She didn't tell anybody. She kind of kept that in her heart because she didn't know if anyone would believe her or buy into the idea. But um, she just knew that missionary work was in her future. At the age of 12, a, a, a Chinese missionary came through and spoke at their small church, and she recognized something in him, that his physical body seemed to be frail. His legs were shaped in a, in a funny way. His, his stature was very small, and um, it turns out that he was in that condition because he was malnourished as a, as a young child growing up in China. For some reason, in that very small rural community, the 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 missionary that uh, the Chinese missionary felt compelled to um, uh, to give an altar call and, and and an invitation for anyone who felt like they were going to go into the mission field, so that he wanted to pray for them. The guy would open up the doors. She realized that man, I would like to be prayed for and. So she she rustled under the pews to get her her uh, her crutches that had been stored away for her, and she was able to get up on the crutches and slowly make her way down the aisle to the front because she wanted to be a missionary and wanted this missionary to pray for her. As she made her way down the aisle to the front of that small that small church, she looked at the people on either side of her that were sitting there. She didn't see tears of joy. She didn't see um, encouragement or excitement. Most of the people in the room were embarrassed. Embarrassed that this little girl with an obviously broken body and, and legs that were bad and not functioning would make her way up to an altar call about where she could go be a missionary. Everybody knew she couldn't physically handle that. She, there's no way in the world she was going to be able to navigate these foreign countries or these, you know, these jungle environments or these desert environments. Everybody knew that. And they were embarrassed that this little girl's the only one who got up and went to the front. She didn't know this until decades later, but after the service, one of the, the men of the church met the Chinese missionary and said, um, and apologized to him, actually apologized for the display that that young lady put on in the service today because we all know she's not going to be able to leave this little town because of her physical condition. So we're sorry that, you know, that happened and he apologized over and over. But the Chinese missionary 
he stopped the, the man who was apologizing and he said, whoever God will call, God will use. Whoever God calls, God will use. She wrapped up her, um, her time in, in school and then moved on to do biblical studies at, um, at, a, at, a, at a nearby college. And as she was taking these classes, she applied to a missions organization to be planted in a, or sent as a missionary to one of their available places in the world. They pretty quickly and resoundingly told her no because there were people with far less physical limitations that she had that were not able to hack it. They were not able to make it in the mission field because they were very physically demanding places to go. She was a little a little upset and said, God, you know, I didn't really like all the, 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 the writing I had to do and the studying for these biblical courses, but if this is really what you want me to do, uh, please open the door for me to continue my studies and apply to other places, and that's exactly what the Lord did. Open an opportunity for her to continue her biblical studies, and she applied to three more missions organizations, and one of them responded. The one that responded asked her a question after they saw her physical condition and interviewed her. They said, what would you say or how would you react if we told you there's too much risk involved in sending you somewhere. We don't want to be responsible for you dying on the mission field because of your physical condition. What would you say in response to our concern? Eleanor thought about it for a few moments and said, I would be discouraged, but I would not be deterred because I am that confident that God has called me to the mission field and if you don't send me, somebody will. I am going to go. The board of that particular mission organization had a rule that they needed to vote unanimously to send someone into the mission field. And after a time of deliberation, they could not come to a unanimous decision. They called Eleanor back in and said, look, we, we can't come to unanimous decision, which mean, normally means you can't go. But what we have done is we have agreed as men of God to go away for a week and pray about some things. But one of those things is specifically your situation and see if we would, if the Lord would instruct us to send you to the mission field. She had no other, op, you know, other option but to wait for these men to come back who were praying. And so she uh, she went and prayed to herself and said, Lord, please, you know, if this is the route, right route, please open this door for, the, for me. Let them vote correctly. But as she began to pray, she sensed a specific place in her heart that she wanted to go. She wanted to go to a nation that was called previously Irin Jaya. That is the area that we, in modern times or in, in more recent times, call New Guinea. It's in the Pacific Triangle in the South Pacific Ocean, and it's north of Australia. And that was the place in her heart where she just felt, man, this is the place that I really want to go. Kept it to herself and waited for the response of the board. A week later, as promised, the board members gathered, 
And they called her back in and they said, after a week of prayer, every single one of us have unanimously decided that you are supposed to go to the mission field. And in addition, I don't know why, but all of us have this sense based on our prayer that you're supposed to go to Erin Jaya. She was not only relieved, but excited and thrilled that she had the opportunity to go do what she wanted to do and what God had placed in her heart as a little girl. But she also realized that this was a confirmation of the place that she wanted to go. She was transported there and um, spent 18 years, 18 years in that very limited physical condition on the mission field in New Guinea. She spent the first six months that she was there learning the Indonesian language, which was the foundation for all the languages that were spoken. She had many conversations with other missionaries that were in the area. They were working with different uh, tribes of people in different areas of the of the nation, and they were encouraging her to, to talk to more people to see which place really kind of resonated with her. And she, the, the place that she settled on was the Kimyal people. When she got there, um, she had to spend another several months learning their specific way of speaking. She would take pick, or she would actually take plants or bugs or a stick, and she would bring it to them, and she would tell them what she thought the word was, and they would correct her, so that she was, and she would make notes of all those things about how they said certain words because one of her primary goals of being there was to become so familiar with the Kimyal people and their language that she could take part in uh, translating the New Testament for them so they would have the Bible in their own language. She was sitting one day as uh, with some younger people as she was showing them the, the, the rocks and the bugs and the flowers and the, and the leaves and things, and they were helping her you know, um, figure out the right words to say, the right, uh, figure out their grammar. And um, so she could make notes of it and translate the Bible more effectively for them into their language. And they asked her that day, what happened to her legs? She was still on crutches. She still needed support. She still needed braces uh, on, on her legs. And so they asked her what happened. And she said, well, I was had a disease, a very bad disease, and the disease almost killed me. And then the kids stopped her and said, the reason it did not kill you, Eleanor, was because God wanted you to come here with us. <clears throat> Those tribal people, the Kimyal people, were so dedicated to Eleanor that they would carry her into the places she couldn't go. Sometimes they would put her on their shoulders. Sometimes uh, they would um, uh, carry her in their arms. Other times they, 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 they made out of bamboo poles these, uh, this chair that she could sit on, and then four men would get on either end of the, uh, the, the poles and lift her up and carry her through the jungle places that she couldn't get through. She became 
the resident uh, nurse, although she didn't know a lot about nursing, she was helping them treat minor cuts and wounds and things of that nature and have some medicine for, for when they became sick or ill. She became a teacher of finance because she wanted them not just to hear the gospel, but also realize that eventually they may make connections with a more civilized part of, of, of New Guinea. And she wanted to make sure they understood how money worked and trade worked and how the economy worked. She was so good at teaching and, and, and understanding that their, their language that she actually began to teach teachers, teach their own people how to teach the young people the information that she was giving them as well. 18 years she was there working on translating the Bible, helping people every day, showing them the gospel living it out in front of them. And as she was there, she began to see these men rise up as spiritual leaders, and they began a church in their village. It was unfortunate, but um, she eventually had to leave because of post-polio syndrome, um, and it began to take a very, uh, very terrible physical toll on her body, and she had to come back to the United States for treatment and for care. But before she left, she noticed something that the people in the tribe didn't refer to her by her name anymore. They called her something else. And she wasn't really sure what they were saying, and, and, and she began to ask the tribesmen, the tribal leaders, why, why did you call me something else? Everybody's now calling me a different name. What is that name? And they said, we're calling you bad legs. And she thought for a second, well, that you know could be considered kind of mean that you're calling me by my deformity. And they said, oh, no, we don't mean it as a, as a negative thing. We don't mean it as a way to be insensitive or mean towards you because of, because of the condition of your body. We're calling you bad legs because there are other people in the tribe that had bad legs when you came, and they were not even able to get out of the valley. But here you are with that same or a very similar ailment, able, the, the God that you serve is able to, to help you not only get out of the valley, but to come all the way across the world and bring us the gospel. We're not calling you bad legs to mock you or make fun of you. We're calling you bad legs because your bad legs are valuable to us. <clears throat> she wasn't able to finish the New Testament while she was there, so other missionaries would come forward and come to the Kimyal people and continue the training, continue developing the church, and continue finishing the work that she was so heavily involved in. In 2010, about uh, 18 or 19 years after she originally left, she was able to go back for a visit, and the visit was to celebrate the completion of the Kimyal translation of the New Testament. When she got back there, she saw the people that she had developed such deep relationships with. She saw the, the young spiritual leaders now mature and, and holding services and teaching the gospel that she had taught them to the rest of the people in her tribe. And she, and she got to see 
the completion of that assignment. She runs into people still today as a, as a very elderly woman who tell her, man, I could never do what you did. I could never, if I, you know, take this disease and the thing it had in my body and walk around this jungle for 18 years on crutches and have people carry me around, um, I could never do what you did. And she said, uh, or, you know, and they give all these examples of why. I'm sick or I don't like, you know, the, the heat or the humidity gets me. I don't like bugs or, you know, something very, very insignificant. And she tells them all of the things that you are worried about in your own life, the way you are, the way you think, the way your body has been designed and how God allowed it to be designed is part of his framework so that you can participate in his purpose so that he gets the glory. See, her legs made her not grow very tall. And the Kim Yall people turned out to be her exact size. Her legs didn't work. And they had other people in the tribe whose legs didn't work. They had the uh, a similar limitation of not being able to walk where they wanted to walk. But here, God had sent somebody that was their size, not imposing, that had a similar issue and a dependency that, that made her um, very approachable and not, in, not intimidating to these people. And they embraced her and accepted her as their own because they were so grateful that God would send someone to them specifically to bring the gospel. She made a statement at the end of when I was listening to her story. She said, God uses our weakness for his glory. Eleanor Young is still alive today, and she is working on editing uh, children's literature that teach them about the gospel. She stays in contact with the Kim Yall people because the technology is now available to them to be able to interact on social media. And so she does that and keeps up with them as she is able. The reason I told you her story is because mission work, if you've never been to the mission field or it's been a long time since you've seen it, is not glamorous. Eleanor was not able to finish the work that she started. She wasn't able to see them actually build the church. She wasn't able to see them develop as people. She wasn't able to see them implement all the things that she taught. She wasn't able to see all of that, but she realized there was a long-term goal and that she was playing a role in God's overall plan. She got to see some of the harvest. She got to go back and see the Bible being completed, but she was wildly comfortable and excited to be someone who planted seeds and watered them repeatedly because she knew that if she just did her part, that God would supersede every human effort and do his. 
I want to tell you this story. And in the coming weeks, I'm going to tell you a few more stories because I want you to, to, to stop thinking about the limitations that you have, the physical limitations, mental limitations. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough skill. I don't have enough training. I don't speak as well as people who get online or pastors or, or public speakers. I don't do all this stuff very well. Who cares? Because if God is the one who is leading you in that direction, he is going to make sure that whatever limitations you have actually become the framework for how he uses you in the future. It is good for people to use their talents and abilities um, to, to serve other people. It is right. It is biblical. But when you are weak, that is when God is the strongest. Could God have sent other able-bodied people there who are missionaries? Yes, and he did to the Kimyal people. But he also sent someone who would connect with them in a way that an able-bodied person could never connect with them. What is it that God is placing in your heart in front of you, what opportunity do you need to take advantage of that he has laid in front of you? Is there something that's burning inside of you or did as a child or recently did? Is there something that's kind of coming back up in your head or your heart that's going, man, I had this burden to do this for the Lord in this way? I'm not saying you're going to go to New Guinea. I'm not saying you're going to open an orphanage in the middle of Africa. I'm not saying you'll do any of that. I'm also not saying that you're not going to do any of that because we are living in a society that is in the midst of not only moral decline, but they are burning the bridges as they fall. We need people who will respond to the leading of God leading of his spirit to respond out of gratitude for the price that Jesus paid for us and literally live his purpose. I'm hoping that as you listen to this, you will, and that you hear these stories, that there will be something that reminds you there's something else I can do. If you're already maximizing every opportunity that you've been given, great. I thank God for you, but in a, in, a, in a nation that is so riddled with abundance, there's so many opportunities everywhere we turn that many people respond to that in apathy. And I want us to be different. I don't want us to have roots so that we will never move. I want us to have roots so that we will have the strength to obey. My challenge for you is maybe sit with the Lord this week. Sit in your quiet time and ask him, is there something else that you want me to do? Is there something else that you want me to participate in? Is there an area that you want me to, 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 to support? Maybe I can't go there, but I support financially, or I can pray for someone, or I can help somebody start an organization, or I can use my talent to whatever it is. Let the Spirit of God define that in you and then give you the opportunity. And I'm praying that when he does, you have the discernment, wisdom, and courage to follow him in the direction that he leads. Let me pray for you as we wrap up. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you, and may he give you peace. Amen.